right, hello and welcome to the Accepted Podcast, a college admissions podcast for the savvy student. My name is Tyler Kusunoki. I'm an admissions consultant uh, working out of Tokyo with students from all over the world to help them achieve their college dreams. If you like what you're hearing and want to support, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your platform of choice. Do also subscribe and hit the bell icon for notifications to stay up to date. Leave us a rating or a comment as well as that really helps this podcast to reach more people and lets us know how we are doing. Uh, a couple announcements before we get into the podcast main. I wanted to remind everyone that there is an event coming up. We are going to be delving into building your college lists with my colleague, Harry Hu. Right now, for a lot of rising seniors, this is an important time planning summer college visits, starting to really think about what your EA, ED strategy is, what schools are going to be reach targets or safety, especially now that maybe you have some new data points in terms of your SAT and ACT and your grades. So just prepping for and understanding the tools necessary and the strategies necessary to build a strategic college list will be very, very important. So that is going to be on April 29th from 6 to 7 p.m. Japan Standard Time, the JST, which will be from 5 to 6 Eastern Standard Time. Again, that is April 29th, 5 to 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So a little early for those of you on the East Coast, but this does also mean if you do register, we will make sure that you receive a recording of that info session. It will go really deep into very specific strategies, very specific ways to really kind of build your list and identify the hidden gems that may be perfect for you, but not have as much competition. So all of these things will be discussed. It will be a very useful, I think, and informative seminar. Harry is awesome and has tons of experience with helping students build their college list in the application process. And so uh, that is something that I think all of you should attend. I think it will be worth your time. And if you cannot make it because of times of differences, please do sign up and we'll make sure that we get a recording to you as soon as possible. So again, that is going to be on April 29th uh, from 6 to 7 p.m. Japan Standard Time. That is 5 to 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. To register, please go to tokyoacademics.com slash events. That is tokyoacademics.com slash events. All right, today I wanted to take some time to get back onto things that are current. So I've spent a lot of time the past couple weeks really going through the Comet Up essays. I'll do the UC schools a little bit later but wanted to delve into some rising issues that are coming up given the Supreme Court case around affirmative action that is likely to see a decision sometime around June. Today, there is a lot to dig into. It's going to get messy. There is a lot of data and a lot of information and statistics to discuss. But today, I'm going to be talking about legacy. This is one of the big running factors, especially now that we have some admissions data out in terms of acceptances. And they are understandably pretty stark and really do reflect kind of the increasing competition and the return to sort of heightened application processes that are happening across the U.S. So in terms of regular decisions, Harvard, for example, was 3%. They received almost 57,000 applicants and they only accepted a little under 2,000. Other top schools, obviously very similar. Yale was at 4%. Uh, MIT was, I believe, at 5%. And some of the bigger universities, the more well-known universities, NYU, uh, received 120,000 applications this year. Um, they only accepted just under 10,000. So they have an acceptance rate of 8%. Uh, 
And so across the board, you are seeing that the surge and the rise in applicant numbers and the lack of increase in applicant space is going to continue to result in these numbers that are increasingly low. And it is in that context that I want to talk about legacy because um, this past cycle, one of the big things that we noticed that feels a little bit more prominent than it has before has been the number of students who were accepted who were legacy. Now, there were plenty of students who did not make it even with legacy, right? And so on some level, there is still some trust that there are systems in place to not bring in students who are completely unqualified to be part of um, kind of an elite educational institution. However, many of the students that we are aware of, both who we worked with and students who we did not work with, just hearing from their classmates, significant portion of ED acceptances, especially early decision acceptances, especially, but even regular decision acceptances were either athlete or legacy with a lot of those being legacy. And that is a problem that we always run into when I am working with students and I have a highly capable student who doesn't have that advantage at comes to me and we start planning out our college, planning out her college list or his or her college list. One of the first things that I ask is, you know, let's talk about your classmates, right? Do a little bit of research. Do you know anybody who is legacy and will be applying early? And to what degree is this person a legacy? Are their parents alumni interviewers? Are they in charge of local communities and alumni communities here uh, in Japan? And we have to do this. I hate that we have to do this, but we have to do this just because um, more often than not, if that parent um, is a and the school and the school that they are an alumni of is a accepts legacy or considers legacy and the parent is very involved uh, in that network or donates um, the student who doesn't have those things if all things all else all other things held equal is in an uphill battle and so we often have to do a little bit of on the ground intel gathering, right? Who is legacy, who has legacy, who has significant legacy, and are they going to be applying for the same schools that you want to apply to? And very often we have to take that data and shape our decisions based around that. And that sucks, but that has been part of the reality uh, of a world where the top institutions in the U.S. have this system that kids can do nothing about, right? There is no amount of work that the student, a student can do to make up for the fact that they are going against someone who just happened to have a father or mother who went to the school and is very successful and is sharing some of that those resources back to the school, Right? That's not something a student who was not born into those circumstances can have. And the fact that we often have to build our college application strategy, especially in terms of early decision or restrictive early action, which school we go to, we need to consider those things when a student is awesome. Sucks. I hate it. 
And so it was interesting to be kind of scrolling through Twitter and reading through my daily digest feed of different things around education and college applications, etc. And to see an article about UPenn. The article was titled, this is from Times Higher Education. The article was titled Legacy Admissions for Alumni Children, colon, the beginning of the end, right? And the subheading is University of Pennsylvania's pulling of legacy aid seen as sign of embarrassment and potential harbinger of change across U.S. elite. That obviously caught my attention and I dug through it. And it did say that, you know, there are some changes happening to University of Pennsylvania's legacy preferences and how they are going about that. But it didn't go into too much more detail around the specifics of it. So I had it just mentioned that it was happening. So I had to dig a little bit deeper. I went on the website. I started looking through a bunch of different things. And a lot of these changes, especially around something as uh, as essential to a college's kind of fundraising goals uh, as legacy uh, is very not not openly discussed. So actually the biggest area where this is has been made clear that there's a change in mindset around legacy for UPenn was actually in their wording around legacy on their website. So up until this point in time, up until recently, the legacy policy wording read exactly like this. We appreciate that attending Penn is a tr- tradition for many families. So an applicant's affiliation with Penn, either by being a child or grandchild of alumni, is given the most consideration through early decision. Okay? That is a huge, very clear statement, right? That like, if you're legacy, it's going to matter. It's going to give you a bump in terms of your admissions. The new legacy policy reads as such. We appreciate that attending Penn is a tradition for many families. The admissions offices identifies legacy applicants based on the information provided in a student's application and defines legacy as being either a child or grandchild of alumni. Legacies who apply to Penn M dash, like all applicants, M dash, receive thorough consideration in the application process. That is a wildly different phrasing of everything. Now, obviously, college websites are free to say whatever they want, right? But there is huge significance in going from is given the most consideration through early decision to legacy legacies who apply to Penn, like all applicants receive thorough consideration in the application process. So um, that combined with the fact that they are sunsetting or have canceled kind of what were what used to be known as uh, First Fridays, which were opportunities for drop-in hours for legacy families specifically to meet with people on campus. Those two things paired together kind of lead to a lot of speculation that UPenn is moving in the direction that some other schools like Johns Hopkins and uh, and Amherst have moved to, and MIT, of course, where legacy just is no longer going to be a factor. A lot of why this is happening, right, and a lot of why this is happening is kind of tied to the Supreme Court case. So one of the things to make very clear is that the whole idea of a legacy bump is not some kind of myth. It is very, it is very, very real. And so with Harvard, for example, the lawsuit has forced Harvard to release 
a lot of their data and it made clear and again this is just um, from the Times Higher Ed article the case forced Harvard to release data showing that descendants of its alumni win about 30% of places at an institution that only admits only about 4% of all applicants right so I uh, and UPenn is similar UPenn uh, the percentage of a class that is legacy is around 24% right so anywhere from 24 to 30% anywhere from one-fourth to a third of its places are taken up by um, by that and other research from different places uh, regarding legacy has shown that if you are legacy it is going to give you a anywhere from a twofold at a place like Duke where it will increase your chances to get in from around eight percent to around twenty percent um, to a larger fivefold increase right where if the admissions rate was ten percent for most normal people right you now have a fifty percent chance of getting in. And so this is, uh, legacy is a significant, significant factor, but the reason that it's tied to the current uh, Supreme Court case that has to do with affirmative action is because of the race imbalance of the, uh, of the legacy students. So um, going back a few years, uh, the initial Harvard lawsuit that was brought up around uh, Asian American discrimination, that release of data found that 43% of white students admitted to Harvard were recruited athletes, legacy students, children of faculty and staff, or on the dean's interest list, applicants whose parents or relatives have donated to Harvard. Right? And so these students are referred to largely as ALDCs. Okay, and so the study, um, which was run by uh, published by the National Bureau of Economic Research, first found that forty three percent of white kids at Harvard are ALDCs, so athlete legacy deans list, right, or children, right, ALDC. Of those, right, seventy five percent of the white students admitted from those categories. So seventy five percent of the white students admitted due to being an athlete, a legacy, a child of faculty or staff, or a dean's interest list student would have been rejected if they had been treated as white non-ALDCs, right? And so, um, and uh, and in general, almost 70% of all legacy applicants are white. So one of the reasons why legacy processes are being connected with a likely Supreme Court decision that is going to get rid of um, affirmative action is that... Um, the fact that legacy tends to come from and tends to reward uh, wealthy white families. And if affirmative action is gone, but legacy policies are still in place, that is going to heavily shift the diversity dynamics of a campus in a way that is going to eliminate a lot of the diversity. And so colleges that want to still boast about their diversity are now going to be faced with the possibility that due to a Supreme Court decision, the tools and structures that they had in place to ensure diversity to balance out the fact that they were accepting a significant portion of uh, wealthy white um, people Right. That conflict, right, when one of those insurance systems is removed, the other has to go. Otherwise, there are going to be difficulties in balancing a class in the ways that colleges want to try to be make sure are representative. And so 
that is one element, right? The other element is the reality that colleges are going to try to be as secretive about this as possible because at the end of the day, alumni donations matter, right? It is, it is important to ensure that the alumni feel incentivized to donate, to invest, because they see it as an opportunity to ensure a successful path for their children. And so colleges are going to have to make some pretty big decisions uh, coming up, depending on what the Supreme Court does, but also just in general, right? Um, whether it be the Ivy Blues uh, scandal with USC, um, these recent lawsuits, um, the fact that uh, I can go to a coding boot camp and get I can go to a coding bootcamp, learn, become really good at coding, and then get um, be hired for a very well-paying job without ever having to throw to to throw out a quarter of a million dollars, right? Some of which I'm going to be required to take classes that are not of my interest. There is incredible scrutiny on universities right now. There is incredible scrutiny around equity, around access, around the necessity and the cost of these schools. And uh, and so for many reasons, these higher institutions really need to be taking some time to think about their decisions and think about what, what is important, right? In terms of what they need to accomplish. And we are going to start to see some of that fallout start to take place in the upcoming time, but especially once the Supreme Court decision has been announced. So how does this all change anything? What, does it, what is the point of any of this in terms of you? What should you be doing given the fact that uh, legacy seems to be, there seems to be a the small beginnings of a tidal wave in terms of what legacy means, right? One, it means that uh, merit is going to be more important than ever, right? It means that you are going to really need to, because if legacy goes away, in theory, Right. What that means is that all of that 25 percent of acceptances, that 30 percent of acceptances to Harvard, those kids don't have that leg up anymore. Right. That means that that my student who, you know, my student who we had to kind of survey and figure out who had legacy and who had donor parents and who all of this stuff, they can instead just spend that time focusing on being awesome. Right. And trust that. Um, the system will will evaluate them accordingly, right? But that means that your time needs to be really focused on building that. Now, this becomes even more true if you are a legacy kid, right? That um, if a lot of these things go away and you have aspirations to get into these top-tier schools, right, you're going to need to put in the work, right? And uh, you are going to need to anyways, right? Even for students who are legacy, you still got to put the work competition is still very present. And but now more than ever before, you're going to need to take your high school, your grades, your approach to all of this seriously with discipline, with ambition um, and to uh, make sure that you are competitive with a lot of these things. I think that if this also this shift is what also may lead to a return of standardized testing as an evaluation piece. We don't know, right? Um, there's a lot of things that are up in the air, but I would say the biggest piece in terms of action that you should be engaged in going forward 
given all these shifts is that um, I think that both merit and really being able to demonstrate um, you really being able to demonstrate diversity in who you are. And that doesn't have to be race, right? It has to do with experience, with perspective, with who you want to be. A lot of, um, and I will do a deeper dive on trends um, that we saw from this past cycle later. Um, I think that's a whole podcast of in and of itself. But diversity is not just about race. It's not just about religion. Um, it's not just about what's on your passport, right? Diversity is also about perspective. Are you a computer scientist who also, a budding com- computer scientist who also happens to love Victorian poetry, right? Are you a, uh, an inspiring uh, linguistics um, major who also happens to really love digital art, right? Like perspective and having an interdisciplinary interest and curiosity across a wide range of topics, right? Or an interesting combination of topics is going to become more important than ever before because the flattening of the field, right? Removing legacy as this kind of um, bright, shining label on an application, right? Removing standardized test scores as this bright, shining label on an application, right? When I remove these things that clearly kind of highlight to me a student that I should be paying attention to, when I start to remove those things, I'm really comparing apples to apples, which means that your apple needs to be a little bit different. It needs to be a little bit weirdly shaped, have a slightly different color, right? It needs to be different because all of this scrutiny is starting to remove the things that skewed the application process in some ways. And on many levels, that's good, right? But what it also does mean is that it's going to be more important than ever for you to really find a way to carve out a niche for yourself. And that takes time, that takes reflection, that takes having a someone to guide you, and it takes having someone to really... It takes you and people around you to really help you reflect, refine, and solidify who you want to be for the purposes of getting in. Right? Once you get in, I've always said this, once you get in, do whatever, right? Or do whatever your parents are willing to pay for, right? But for the purposes of getting in with these shifts, right? I do think that um, I do think that it's going to make how you present yourself uh, far more important. And I've told I've talked about this for a long time, whether that be your personal statement, your interview, especially, right? Your recommendations, the things that speak about you qualitatively are going to be incredibly important because all of you ideally, hopefully, are going to be awesome academic students. You're all going to take hard classes and get good grades. So what else is left, right? It's all the qualitative pieces, right? What do you believe? What perspective do you bring? What actions prove the way how you connect and engage with the community around you are you a change maker is a place different because you existed in it all of these things are going to become increasingly important because those are going to be the only things that separate you from every other student who has a 4-0 and took 10 APs and so as the scrutiny starts to chip away at these 
things that make it easy for an admissions officer to distinguish whose profile I should be paying attention to more. It is going to become more important for all of you to find out and think about and develop ways to be even more distinct, right? Because what is going to happen, I almost guarantee is if legacy goes away, application numbers are going to rise dramatically because now I don't need to worry about my friend who whose dad and grandma and great-grandfather and like all attended the school and they bought the, and they donated a library. I don't need to worry as much about that making it making my chances of getting into a top tier school 0.00001%. Right? Now it's 3%. Yay, <laughs> right? But my point is is that um, is that if legacy goes away, applications especially for early decision are going to surge because everyone is going to view this as a more fair game now and therefore I should go for it which means that for all of you who are aiming to go somewhere to aiming high that competition is going to be higher than ever right so take some time to think about that take some time to think about the resources and support you have take some time to think about well what is what is unique about you? What does make you stand out, right? And how can you start to explore ways to ensure that that is going to be the case? And I have said this before, and I will continue to say it, go out and fail, right? Now is the time to do it. Because now is the time that you will learn so much from making mistakes in ways that will shape your identity, your character, right? Your profile, all of these things, both in terms of playing the game and playing the system, but also just authentically for you to be able to go to college and thrive. Go out and mess up, right? You're safe, right? You have family, you have a network supporting you. Go out, take some risks, come back, grow, right? and take some time to reflect on those experiences and I use those to identify, to help you triangulate where you wanna go next. Okay, thanks for listening to the Accepted Podcast. Again, my name is Tyler Kusunoki. We hope you enjoyed today's topic on kind of the shifting landscape of legacy applications. Join us next week for more on the complex world of college admissions. If you like what you're hearing and want to support, as I mentioned, be sure to leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are getting this, do subscribe, hit the bell icon for notifications to stay up to date. A reminder again, we are hosting an event on April 29th, uh, early in the evening for us here in Japan, six to seven, super early in the morning if you're on the East Coast or elsewhere. But if you want to hear what Harry has to say about how to build your college, especially given kind of what I've sort of talked about, please sign up. If you sign up, we will get in touch with you. You will get a recording of the of the seminar so that you'll be able to uh, listen to it, think about it, help it develop your own strategies and approach, and reach out to us if you need support. Okay. So uh, again, that to sign up for that, that will be at tokyoacademics.com/events. That is tokyoacademics.com/events. That's it for today. And remember, the key to getting in is getting ready.